0: Welcome to the weekly deep dive podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take the weekly come-follow-me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd. Here with me in the studio, my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. Hey, what is up? Hey, Nate. It's good to see you again. Good to
1: see you too, buddy. Yeah. Do you have a good week? I've been working till who knows what hours every day this week and for the last 10 years of my life. It's... It's a busy life. But I love it. Hey, I'm glad you make time for us, though.
0: Dude, time for us, dude. You know, I, you know I'm always making time for us. It's good. Well, and this week, we're diving into one of my favorite sections in Doctrine and Covenants. I, I don't even know if I'll be able to even come close to doing it justice, but it's Doctrine and Covenants section 88. And my, if I were to say one big takeaway from the section or why I like it so much is I feel like this section gives us a good idea as to what it takes to see God. And, and, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but that's something that I've always wanted to chase, to, to, to experience, to see. Just, I don't know, something something powerful about that. So this section really resonates with me. Uh, but at the same time, this section is, is huge, it covers several pages. I'll just flip into the end to get a count on the verse count here. 141 verses. Wow. So there's no way we're going to get to everything or cover everything or be able to really give this section due justice. So if there's if there's one section that you should really take time and dive into and read to to get a, a good amount of appreciation for it, it's definitely this one. Will do. Okay. So starting us off, uh, verse 1, Verily thus saith the Lord unto you who have assembled yourselves together to receive his will concerning you. And so many times this has been the context for receiving these revelations. You you gather together to see what the Lord wants you to do, and then the Lord gives you this this revelation. Um, And two is where I really want to start hitting this off. Behold, this is pleasing unto your Lord, and the angels rejoice over you, The alms of your prayers, and that's a phrase I want to come back to, the alms of your prayers have come up unto the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And and that right there, Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H. And I think if we're just reading Doctrine and Covenants quickly and not paying attention, this is an easy thing to miss because we might just look at it and say, oh, the Lord of Sabbath." oh, he's, he's the Lord of the Sabbath day, or he he likes the Sabbath day. That's not what it's saying, Sabaoth, S-A-B-A-O-T-H. And that is not a word I expect many people to be familiar with. If you look at the footnote, I think it gives you a little bit of a clue. Let's see, 2, scrolling down, see, It doesn't even define it down here. It just gives you references to where you can find that word. And it, is, is that a word... I wish I could just ask the audience.
1: Sabaoth. Sabaoth. Have you ever heard of it before? I mean, it sounds like Sabbath.
0: It does sound like Sabbath. That's all I got. That's all I got. Okay, it's a Hebrew word that shows up in English. And oh, yeah, yeah. Sabaoth means host. And sabah ot, so we've talked about this. In Hebrew, the im ending is the, the masculine plural ending. Urim, thummim, have that I am, cherubim. Those are all masculine plural endings. Lights, perfections, cherubs, whatever the case may be. But the O-T-H that we see here is the feminine plural ending. So sabah ot means host, plural, hosts, with an S, uh, hosts, and it's not like a number of hosts, like the, the the Lord of people that host parties. When we're saying host in the Hebrews, sabah specifically is referencing armies, hmm. and and so the army of Israel was called the host of Israel, and the hosts of Israel would reference all of these different armies, and and specifically sabah is is an organizational unit, like a structured. That's why it oftentimes it refers to the military. This this structured organized unit, but multiple units. And so, Lord of hosts is almost like a military title to say the captain of the armies. But more so, what I find interesting here when he says hosts, hosts can refer to any large multitude that, that that's organized in, in a way. And where it's not just a single host, but hosts plural, it gives me hope because it's saying that the Lord of a multitude, his multitude. Go back to where we see this in the Old Testament when, when they're going and they're surrounded by their enemies on all sides. And the, who's Elijah or Elisha? He's got his servant there next to him and he's worried about all of these guys that are coming to fight them and slay them. And he opens up his eyes to see all of the chariots and spiritual armies and he says, don't worry, there are more that are for us than against us. It's a good one. Yeah. And so when we think of the Lord of hosts, I think a lot of times the mindset or the mentality that we have is that the amount of people that are going to be saved, that are going to be with God, is this pitifully small number, right? These are the handful of people that actually deserve to be in God's presence, but everyone else, the numberless people in the celestial in the kingdom, more numerous than the stars. They're, they're all the rejects. There's more rejects than not. But I think the Lord taking this title is showing us there are more for us than against us. The day will come when everyone will see eye to eye, when every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, The Lord's not interested in just saving one or two people to spite the rest of creation. He's interested in saving all of his creation. So this name for me is powerful. It's the Lord of hosts. It might seem like it's us against the world, but there are more for us than against us. It just we don't see that. We don't perceive that. And the Lord's giving us some confidence. Be diligent. Overcome the world. And you'll find out what was unpopular becomes popular there there are a lot of people that are rally around the lord and it's not just a few people so i find comfort in that title love it okay coming back to the phrase the alms of your prayers and alms is something uh, associated with the poor right alms for the poor if i hear that phrase alms for the poor it takes me back to that animated uh robin hood, robin hood baby <laughs> right, and I already he's... knew. I already knew
1: that's where we were going.
0: Dude, that's one of my favorite Disney movies. I like the it.
1: I like it. There's a there's a little bit of the uh, take from the rich to give to the poor that I've always had a little bit of an issue with, but you know,
0: uh, yeah, I, but but you know, you got you got the blind. He's pretending to be a blind beggar, Robin Hood. Yeah, the fox I like walking that. around with his little cup. Oh, clearly, oh, there's oh, tyranny oh, at the time. Like oh, you know oh, what for I mean? The poor, ty- definitely tyranny. Yeah. All right. But so going back to define alms is this idea that it's something that's given to try to alleviate the the need of the poor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're associating this not with alms of of money, but alms of prayer, this makes me think of the prayers that are offered to help the downtrodden, to help those that are struggling. And so think about that phrase, your alms, the alms of your prayers have come into the ears of the Lord, because I think this is key, and are recorded in the book of the names names of the sanctified, even them of the celestial world. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Your prayers are being recorded in the book of the names of the sanctified, even those of the celestial world. And, and you have to imagine, it's not just that your prayers for the poor, your alms prayers, But if it's being recorded in a book of names, it's the names of the people that are offering those prayers that are being recorded in the book of those who go to the celestial kingdom. So if you're curious about those who go to the celestial kingdom or what it takes to get to the celestial kingdom, I think here we're getting this critical key that those who are offering prayers that are alms for the poor, that care enough about those who are struggling, that they, they pour their heart and soul into a prayer, there's a key to that. And it says, Wherefore, verse 3, I now send upon you another comforter, even upon my friends, that it may abide in your hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise, which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples as recorded in the testimony of John. This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. So here we have it stated again. One, your name is recorded in the list of names of those who inherit the celestial kingdom. Two, you get the the, um, second comforter. And then three, the comforter is the promise of that kingdom of glory. And so this is... This is calling of election made sure. And second comforter, I think most of us are familiar with that, that phrase, that name. The second comforter is defined by Joseph Smith, is a personal witness, a personal visit of, of Christ. He comes and you see him to see God. And, and what does it take to get your list in that name or your name in that list of people who get to see God, who have the calling election made sure, who get to go to the celestial kingdom? It, it, it's, it's, almost, it's very simple. It's the alms of your prayers. And, and I want to show you this pattern. Lehi sees the Lord. A pillar of fire comes and dwells upon a rock before him. He sees God, and not only that, that's followed up with the vision where he sees God sitting on his throne, surrounded with numerous concourses of angels, and he sees one descending from the midst that gives him a book. What was he doing in order to receive that second comforter? You go to the first chapter of Nephi, chapter 1, that says, And it came to pass that my father Lehi, as he went forth... Prayed unto the Lord, yea, even with all of his heart on behalf of his people. So, what was it that did it for him? The alms of his prayers was what got his name recorded in the celestial records and got him a personal visit from Jesus Christ. Go to Enoch. Um, Sorry, not Enoch, Enos, right? As he's hunting in the wilderness. And, and this one's interesting to me because it's not necessarily that the alms of your prayer have to be for somebody else. What started Enos' prayer that gave him that profound experience was his own soul hungered. The alms of his prayer were in behalf of himself as a poor person who felt like he was struggling, that he needed the Spirit. And as he prayed, the alms of his prayers granted him the presence of God to have that conversation, and immediately what did he turn to? As as soon as he had received that promise, that second comforter that you will have eternal life, the calling of election made sure, he turns to the rest of the Nephites, and he turns to the Lamanites. So what is the pattern that you're seeing laid out here in Doctrine and Covenants and played over with Lehi, with Enos, and I'm sure you can think of other examples is as our hearts turn to the welfare of souls, and we are so stirred and moved that we're offering these alms, it, it it opens that's to me that's the key. that opens the door. And if I were to name one more person Job, right? What was Job doing right before everything went south on him? Offering offerings for his kids just in case they forgot to offer them or they missed something. He he was pouring his soul out to try to help those around him. And and really, all of this comes back to a Christ, a Christ stated it so simply and yet so profoundly. What are the what are the great commandments? First, love the Lord your God, and the second, like unto it, love your neighbor. Really, if you loved Yourself, you loved your neighbor, you loved God. I think it drives us to these to these prayers, and these prayers are what bring us closer to Him. And I think that's the driving message in Doctrine and Covenants 88. Started off just right off the beginning. It's killer. Okay. Any any other thoughts before I move up past no, that, No, man? Let's let's keep going. Covered it well. Okay. Um, which glory is that of the Church of the Firstborn? Even God and the holiest of all through Jesus Christ. And they talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to skip, let's see. Uh, we're, let, let's go, let's, let's follow this along a little bit more for a discussion on light. I know we've talked about light, but we're going to hit light from a different angle today. He that ascendeth upon high, also he that descended below all things, and that he comprehendeth all things, that he might be in all and through all the light of truth. And and the fact that he ascended above everything, there's no doubt he is God, he's at the top. But how did he descend below all things? And it, his life plays that very beautifully, right? When he's born, he's born in, in a manger where animals are supposed to be born, pretty low. And, and we talked a little bit about this uh, last week, Natives we were just kind of hanging out afterwards. In archaeology in Israel... All the houses there were two-story houses, and they had garages, if you will. That's that's what we would call them, I guess. And the garage is where they kept the animals on the on the ground level, and then the master bedroom or the guest bedroom. And so there was no inn. When you go and talk about the innkeeper in the New Testament, no room in the inn. It's it, it was the guest room upstairs. There was no inn. There was no hotels in Israel. It was the guest room and the family residence. So when Joseph and Mary show up, they already had family staying in the guest room above, no room in the inn, so they had to go to where they kept the animals and the stables. Now, the system, they didn't have sewer systems like we have today. So one of the chores that they, they would give their kids or whoever is that the upstairs guest room and the master room, they had holes in the floor for a bathroom and you'd go down to the bathroom, and it would drop into the garage. The garage was lined with hay and straw. The animals would go to the bathroom and the hay and the straw. So you would use the hay and the straw to gather up all of the dung, the waste, and then you would take it out to the the compost pile, the dung heap, outside of the city, outside of the town, or wherever it goes, and then replace it with fresh hay, fresh straw. So if you want to talk about humble beginnings, one that descended below all things— he is the king, the creator, the god that created the whole earth, and yet he was born in a bathroom. Where where literally human waste and excrement is 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 stored and, and created. And you talk about one end of society where you have the wise men, the magi coming and bringing expensive gifts as him that ascendeth below or above all things, but then he that descended below all, you had the outcast of society, the shepherds, the ones that weren't always trusted, that had the hard work, they were they were the they were the opposite end of of the spectrum. So in everything in his life, it typified this idea that he would descend below all. He was the the worthless, the nothing, the everything, but yet he would encompass the greatest, the the best of everything. His whole life portrayed this mission that he might, and I, I love how it stated here: he might be in all and through all things the light of truth, which truth shineth. This is the light of Christ, as also he is in the sun, and the light of the sun, and the power thereof by which it was made, as also the light of the stars, and the power thereof by which they were made, and the earth also, and the power thereof, even the earth upon which you stand, and the light which shineth, which giveth you light, is through him who enlighteneth your eyes, which is the same understanding that quickeneth your understanding. Then the point is, he is in all. No matter where you are on the spectrum, if you are if you are like the sun, this bright shining, or or more kind of like the moon reflecting this light, or or a little bit more distant, or where you are on your journey, or in life, or however the case may be, he is a, he he is there through all things. He covers the extremes, the alpha, the omega, in all things. It's I don't know. It's it's powerful. And we think of light as a source of truth because we've we've talked about this as as we don't see objects. We see light reflecting off the objects. It's through the light that we get to know a lot of the world around us. But there's also another aspect of light I wanted to cover here. And then verse 13, it says, The light which is in all things, which giveth life to all things. That phrase, giveth life— does the light actually give us life? I, I understand that the light allows us to see, but could we survive without light? How does light give us life? And that's, it, that's one I wish I could just discuss with you guys, ask that question, have you, you know, any, any suggestions? And, and it might not seem obvious at first, but as you think about it, our life is sustained by light and where do we get the f- the food the energy that it takes for us to live we have to eat right and it doesn't matter if you're only eating plants as a vegetation a, a, a veget vegetarian vegetarian based diet plant based diet or or meat based or or both based if you if you're eating plants, then your source of energy is coming from the life of the plants, which was created through the light of the sun. Oh, I was going to say photosynthesis. Photosynthesis would be correct. Yeah, and if science, you're, and if you say, well, I don't eat stuff that photosynthesizes. I eat beef. I eat cows. Or oh, but they eat plants. But they eat plants. All photosynthesis. Of, all of the energy to to that sustains life here on Earth almost all. There are a few teeny exceptions, your chemotrophs. Are those the things that live at the bottom of the ocean?
1: Yeah, they, they live What's in up?
0: <laughs> They live in extreme environments. What's up? They live next to volcano vents, uh, volcanic areas deep in the ocean yeah, in some areas. Yeah, so they're areas. still getting something down there, right? But they're and they're creating energy through chemical reactions, but they're not I I would say they're not a huge significant portion of the food chain. I would say more than 90% of all life here on Earth is sustained through light, either directly or indirectly. And that's it. it, If we didn't have light, we couldn't have oxygen. We couldn't have food. We couldn't have anything. Light is what sustains life here on Earth. And it would just suck. (laughs) It would suck living in darkness. It would just suck not being able to see anything. Yeah. So, not only is light allowing us to know everything, to see, to become familiar with the world around us uh, using our senses, but light also gives us life in the form of energy as this photosynthesis process, as the light drives oxygen production and life here on Earth as we know it. All right, next up, talking about the the earth and also the spirit and the body of man. So verse 15, the spirit and the body are the soul of man, which is kind of this important teaching that Joseph Smith teaches that we need a body, but we also need a spirit. We came here to receive a body, we're going to lose that body, but they're going to be reunited. This idea of redemption and atonement takes on some some extra significance there. But I want to I want to focus in on something else as they're talking uh, verse seventeen, and the redemption of the soul is through him that quickeneth all things, and whose bosom is decreed that the poor and the meek of the earth shall inherit it. And that might surprise some people that think that they are going to inherit the earth, but it's really, it is the poor in spirit, the ones that have been broken down, the ones that have been humbled, the ones that maybe don't think of themselves as worthy. Because if you think you're the one that's worthy to inherit it, 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 it did you cross the line? Now all of a sudden you're proudful instead of meek, instead of lonely. Sometimes. The most humble, the the most, this people that he's talking about are the people that are broken that say, I am not worthy. I can approach God. They really feel that 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 humility. But sorry, I, I digress a little bit. Getting to where I wanted to talk about this idea of redemption and, and the celestial kingdom, because the, the Lord's going to talk about the earth receiving its celestial glory. It says in verse 19, for after it hath filled the measure of its creation, it shall be crowned with glory. And crown is something that you wear like clothing, right? And so you're going to be crowned with glory, even with the presence of God the Father. So glory here is defined as the presence of God the Father, and the presence or being able to see God or be in the presence of God is defined as, as being able to, to to wear a crown. And and what I wanted to focus on this verse is when we were talking a couple episodes back um, we went to the words of Isaiah. When Isaiah said that the Lord stripped the proud and the mighty, the prophet and and the priest, the leaders, and all of the people that were supposed to be guiding Israel, he stripped them, and then he made a comparison. So, so first he wipes them out of the land and kills them with the invasion of the Babylonians. But then he makes the comparison to a woman with all of her tinkling and sounding brass and all of her fancy things. And, and he talks about Israel almost being like a woman that's stripped naked in the dust and humiliated. She's lost all of her clothes, and her clothes were all of these people that were supposed to be giving her glory, that the people are the clothing of Israel. Well, here you have God that's not just the clothing, but the crown, the, the most significant part of, of the clothing. Here, Israel is going to be crowned With the presence of God, He is the crown of Israel. I have a question. Shoot.
1: What's going to happen to Kolob when the earth becomes the celestial kingdom and Heavenly Father hangs out here instead? That's a good question. I mean, are we just leaving Kolob behind forever? Is Kolob where God lives? Is Kolob a state of being? Or is it an actual place, man? I don't know. Because if I remember right,
0: on Kolob, Did it was... Did you ever hide there? It was the star nearest to God, right? Okay. So if God is not necessarily on Kolob, but that's the one that's nearest to where he resides, so if you could hide a Kolob and from there continue onward... Oh! <laughs> so where does God reside and, and what is Kolob. Do you, do you want to go down this road? Of course I want to go down this road.
1: <laughs> what it, about me makes you think that I don't want to go down this road? You've,
0: you've done it again. Nate. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's go. In Hebrew, as 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 I've said, ancient Hebrew they didn't write with vowels. They just had the the letters, right? So, kolab, k l b and in in Hebrew, that is also the same word for dog. Okay. Okay. So, so stick with me. I'm with you, baby. And and maybe there's something to this. Man's best friend is 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 a dog, and God's best, you know, the closest to him is is this dog star. What? So so, so stay with me. We have a dog star in in the in the heavens. We have a constellation of a dog, right? Okay. <laughs> and this, and the, the it it happens to be the brightest star in all of the of the sky. It's it's more than twice as bright as the next brightest star. It's the closest one to us, and and it's named the Dog Star, or in Hebrew Kolob. is that I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um It's it's man
1: and god's best friend.
0: Man and god's best friend. It's Dude, you know dogs go to heaven. It's it's called Sirius. You've heard Sirius before, right? Harry Potter. That's what I was going to say is in Harry Potter, yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah, the, the dog star. So the dog star, Kolob, is uh, Sirius, is what we refer to it as. Super bright star. It's actually two stars close together. When I look at it at night when I'm running, um, it's it's kind of cool because it's following Orion. So you've got Orion, the constellation, and then right behind him, Orion the Hunter, you have the dog that's Orion's best friend, dude. Orion's best friend. And so here you have this bright, Sirius star. And I, I don't know if it's Kolob or not.
1: But that would be dope if it
0: is. But it is kind of cool that the brightest star in the sky is is a dog star, and that in Hebrew the the word for dog is Caleb. So sorry, Caleb. But Kolob. It's the same. It's the same root. It's the same word that the dog star could potentially be. I love it. Kolob.
1: I love it. <laughs> See, this is why we go here, Jason. This is why.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's all. It's all who knows, man. I it's mean, all
1: dope! <laughs> okay, let's keep going.
0: All right, hey, but if you uh, now, now, now you've done it, Nate. Now you've opened a can of worms. Let's go. If you want to go down to astronomy and the names of these constellations, if you turn to the book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price, you have a, a facsimile that shows Pharaoh holding his throne, sitting on the throne. And and they say it's Abraham sitting on Pharaoh's throne, teaching them about astronomy, correct? So modern astrophysicists today, as they look at the history of astronomy and where we get our understanding from, a lot of the Western world's knowledge and understanding of the stars comes from the Greeks. So you look at these names, Sirius, Orion, and and these constellations, they come from Greek mythology, correct? Correct. And then the question is asked, where did the Greeks get it from? The Greeks got it from the Egyptians who got it from the Babylonians. And so according to modern, um, modern astronomy, the knowledge all came from the Chaldeans, the land of Abraham. That's where we get our understanding of the stars. So when you have this dog star, it is kind of interesting that that gets preserved. There's one other constant, I mean, Virgo. We talked about Virgo, I think, last week. He's, yep. uh, she's carrying a branch. The branch is the name of Christ. And so the, that Christ would come from a virgin is born out in the in the Greek astronomy. Yep. And then another one with... Um, Centaurus. It's one of the most fascinating. Is that cons- the, the bull guy? That's the bull guy. And I'm glad that you said bull guy because a lot of people think centaur is half man, half horse, right? I don't. They- <laughs> I know. Because Taurus, uh, Toro, it, it's bulls. It's what you say, the bull, right? Yep. And so if you say centauros, or in in, in, the, in the Greek kentaurus, kent means to pierce. Tauros is the bull, and kentoros then is the bull that is pierced. And bull was a, a symbol of God. You saw the golden calf when Moses was ascending up into Mount Sinai, yep. and he comes back down, and he's upset because they're building these calves, later on. When Israel splits into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the north is afraid that they have to go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple so that they would reunite the country and they would lose their kingship. So they dedicate bulls to worship in Israel that were supposed to be images of Jehovah. He was the bull. And sometimes the Akir... Um, Yaakov in Hebrew, the bowl of Jacob is translated sometimes as bowl of Jacob, which is in English as we read the Bible, the God of Jacob. So bowl was very much associated with Jehovah, in, 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 and you see the temple, the, the um, baptismal font that's placed on the back of the bowls. So this idea that a bowl that would be pierced Half man, half bull, and this imagery of a god, half god, half man, is going to be pierced and lifted up right between the legs of Centauros. You've got your front legs, you've got your back legs, is the southern cross. So the bull in the sky is lifted on a cross. And the cool thing, too, is this constellation is right at the center of the earth, and by, by center, I mean it's one of the only constellations that you can see in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere, you see the man, and it disappears in the winter, the time of death, and renews itself every, every spring as this idea of death and resurrection, this, this constellation that, that seems to be talking about a, a bowl that would be pierced. And in Greek mythology, this relates to Chiron. And who is Chiron? He is this healer, this teacher. He was immortal. He was half half man, half horse. And I think that somewhere along the line, bull switches to horse because the, the neighboring uh, civilizations, the Greeks did not ride horses, but the, uh, who were they? They introduced this idea they would come and destroy the Greeks riding on horses, and they thought it was so fearsome and terrible that the centauros kind of developed or twisted into a half-man, half-horse because of these invading armies, the Mycenaeans. And in any case, Chiron, this this centaur, if you will, is immortal, but you have Prometheus who's bound from stealing knowledge from the gods, the knowledge of fire. And he is bound forever, tortured because he stole knowledge from the gods. And I I think of Adam, who is stealing knowledge by taking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, taking knowledge from the gods, who is forever now cast out because of what he's done. Well, Chiron, who is pierced, takes his immortality and gives it to liberate Prometheus so that he can be free. So here you have this... This image of a pierced bull who gives his life to set man free and put things right. So there's a lot of interesting things about the constellations, the Greek mythology. That that it's it's not perfect. It doesn't always sync up. It doesn't always match. But it's it's just kind of cool to see these the dog star or the Centaurus or the Virgo or whatever the case may be, and just wonder did this stray somewhere along the line from some understood truth where the stars. Testified of the divine mission of Jesus Christ
1: this has been my favorite episode ever just because of that. I love this <laughs>
0: stuff man I, I live for this it's it's not that I can conclusively state anything, but it is it is fun to kind of look at some of these things and it's so rad i I just wonder right it's so good well and it and it fits really well with this next verse when we talk about I'm just going to skip forward a little bit. Verse 47, behold, well, let me, behold, all these are kingdoms and any man who has seen any or the least of these hath seen God moving in his majesty and power. And and when I say these kingdoms, I have to back up a little bit. Uh, verse 42, Um And again, verily I say unto you, he hath given a law unto all things by which they move in their times and their seasons, and their courses are fixed, even the courses of the heavens and the earth, which comprehendeth the earth and all the planets, and they give light to each other in their times and in their seasons and in their minutes and in their hours and in their days, in their weeks, in their months, in their years, all of these one year with God, but not with man." the earth rolls upon her wings and the sun giveth his light by day and the moon giveth her light by night and the suns excuse me and the stars also give their light as they roll upon their wings in their glory in the midst of the power of god behold all these are kingdoms and any man who hath seen any of these any of the least of these hath seen god moving in his majesty and power and i just want to i want to take that with what isaac newton said if i can here we go what is there in place almost empty of matter and whence is the sun and planets gravitate towards one another without dense matter between them whence is it that nature doth arise in vain and whence arises all that order and beauty which we see in the world does it not appear from phenomena that there is a being incorporeal living intelligent omnipresent 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 who in infinite space as it were in his sensory sees the things themselves intimately and thoroughly perceives them and comprehendeth them wholly by their immediate presence to himself Isaac Newton believed that by studying the motion of the planets and and learning about gravity and the light and how it works, that he was seeing God. And he's often attributed to a quote. I I haven't been able to verify the quote, but he said it it attributed to him, anyone who thinks half-heartedly, wouldn't believe in God, but anyone who thinks full-heartedly has to admit that there is God. And, and a lot of these early scientists, their their whole push was they believed it was an acceptable form of worship by admiring and seeing these kingdoms and understanding the order by which they were ruled, and that that was what got you close to God. That was what got you into his presence, by understanding the law the nature and how this worked and the order to the universe how everything has to be so perfect the distance between the earth and the sun the atmospheric composition the gravity the size of the planet the water the the different everything has to be so orderly so perfect so organized and that's what a lot of this king the the, the section is about talking about law and order so if i go back when he talks about those who die, and he says in verse 28, they who are of a celestial spirit shall receive the same body, which was a natural body, even ye shall receive your bodies and your glory. They shall be quickened by the bodies are quickened, and you shall receive a portion of the celestial glory. Um, next part, they who are quickened by a portion of the terrestrial glory shall receive the same. They are quickened by a portion of the telestial shall receive the same and in verse 36, all kingdoms have a law given, for there are many kingdoms, for there is no space in which there is no kingdom, and there is no kingdom in which there is no space, either a greater or a lesser kingdom. And unto every kingdom is given a law, and unto every law there are certain bounds also and conditions. All beings who abide not in these conditions are not justified. We become justified, redeemed, by the spirit through which we live, and that dictates the body that we receive in the resurrection, and the law that we are willing to live dictates the kingdom that we're ready to inherit. And and that is order, that is the cosmos, that is how God works, and we are God's creation. All right, he also says here, Intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence, wisdom receiveth wisdom, truth embraces truth, virtue loveth virtue, light cleaveth to light, mercy hath compassion on mercy and claimeth her own, justice continueth its course and claimeth its own, judgment goeth before the face of him who sitteth upon the throne and governeth all things. He comprehendeth all things and all things are before him. So what is the secret to coming up to God, to becoming celestial? And And let me come back to a question you asked here in a minute, Nate. <coughs> This idea that wisdom cleaveth to wisdom, light to light, and truth to truth. You start somewhere, right? And and as you start to read the scriptures and feel inspired and you learn, and then it drives you to want to learn a little bit more, and you, and you pray and you study and you figure something out, it, it kicks off the pheromones or whatever, and you start to feel good, and you do it a little bit more. And it's similar to like weightlifting. As you start lifting weights or going to the gym and exercising and feeling good, that makes it so you want to exercise more and and you feel healthy and you build on it and you get this momentum. Whereas if you decide to skip it and you don't do it, then then it's easier to skip it next time or it's easier to go away from it. So how do you build this light? How do you come unto God? You start small and, and as you build the light and intelligence you, it pulls you in a direction to where you build on it and snowball into into where you're wanting to head, if that makes any sense at all.
1: I was literally having this exact same conversation yes, this morning. Yeah? Totally. Nice. It was the idea that um, I haven't been to the gym in a long time, but when I am going to the gym, you're totally right. And not only that, but not not only when you're not doing things that make you healthy not only does it make it easier next time but sometimes like the the weight of like the guilt and all those things like depress you even more and so it's like you almost overcompensate for that by like binging on bad habits you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's it's not even just like a casual it's just a funny it's a funny thing how that works it's like when you're doing good things they compound and when you're doing unhealthy things or you're in a state of unhealth mentally or emotionally, that that compounds as well. It's true. Darkness cleaveth
0: unto darkness, maybe? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. No, but it, you're right, and it can snowball either direction, and it's hard to say, I'm just going to hold still. You look at, and it's interesting here, I don't think the astronomy in Joseph Smith's day would have dictated that even the stars are rolling on their wings, right? The stars seem fixed. You look up at the sky and the North star is always in the same place, but that North star is moving. Everything is moving and and it's impossible to hold still. We are gaining light, gaining intelligence, or we are losing light and falling behind and, and not and, and, and I don't know, we're either getting healthier or we're getting less healthy, but we're not really ever being static as much as we would like to believe that we are.
1: There's that, uh, when, I was, when I was kind of in the preparations to go on a mission years and years and years ago, I had an interview with the bishop, and he was like, right now you're just treading water. And I thought about that. I was like, oh, man, that's kind of a bummer. But um, if you've ever been in a, in a moving river it, even if you're treading water you're still moving somewhere right mm-hmm. so like you might not be swimming upstream which is the hard thing to do you might not necessarily be swimming downstream which is the easy thing to do but even if you're just even if you're just in theory kicking your feet to keep your head above the water thinking that I'm just treading water the the current is still taking you down the stream right it, yes and it takes a very which by the way sucks when you have to get back upstream Right? Mm-hmm. It's because, like, it's like, yeah, I've just been treading water, but I look far, it feels now I'm farther away than when I started. It's like, well, it's because you are, right? And it takes that, it takes now twice as much effort
0: to like swim back to where you were to start with. And, and when you think of that effort, sometimes you just give up.
1: It's depressing, yeah. The, the, I mean, that's, that's the whole that's the point, right? Is that even though you feel like you were just treading water, it can feel depressing to then look and be like, oh, man, now I'm like way further away than when I even started. And then to get the motivation to be like, oh, okay, I got to gotta start kicking back upstream again can be, yeah, very depressing and demoralizing and frustrating.
0: It, yeah, it, and it builds like... <clears throat> I don't know, having gone through serious exercise and getting down to a really good weight and and very healthy, and then letting it go and getting to the point where you need to start exercising again. Speaking of personal experience, right? And I look at it and say, yeah, I can totally do it. And I look at what I've done before, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to put that much effort into it anymore. I, I mean, it's a lot of work. and it gets harder and harder to do it the further and further behind you are. And you don't have to do the whole Goliath effort to start with. Maybe you don't run five miles a day for a while. Maybe it starts as small as just moving your arms or doing something little to get you. The, you know, as you watch. For me, it's hard as I see my parents starting to get a little bit older, and you want to to see them stay with you longer and to have a good quality of life, and and maybe they've given up more time where they haven't had as much time getting in shape physically for them they don't feel like they can go do that goliath effort they don't feel like they can go run around the track and run for a couple miles but maybe you just start somewhere small and get up and, and and walk around the house or get up and walk down the street and you begin with that and just as light cleave with the light maybe those habits will take you to a point where eventually you can you can do a track or you can do a mile or you can get where you need to be but start somewhere small and work in that direction so, thanks, Nate. Sorry, I probably flogged a little horse on that one. It's all good. Let's keep going. Okay. He goes with this parable, and I think it's really cool that this parable is that he has 12... Uh, see, verse 51 let's just set the stage. I won't read the whole parable, though. Behold, I will liken these kingdoms unto a man having a field, and he set forth his servant into the field to dig in the field. And he said unto the first... So he says, go ye and labor in the field, and I will visit you in the first hour. And to the next one, go ye and labor in the field, and I will visit you in the second hour. And then the third, and all the way down to the twelfth hours, right? Right. And so these different kingdoms, he says, are these different laborers, and each kingdom he's going to go visit them for a specific hour. And he goes and he's with them for for their hour, and then he leaves so that he can go visit the next one, and leaves so he can go visit the next one. So what he's saying is he's not always available. He has to go and visit other workers who he's promised. But he finishes this parable in verse 63 Um, End of verse 62, I gave unto you that you shall call upon me while I am near. Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and you shall find me. Asking you shall receive, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And he's telling us, this kingdom, this dispensation, this is the hour where I am visiting you. This is when you can find me. Seek me and you will find me. Draw near to me. Do those little things. And as you're slowly drawing to me, I'm going to be drawing to you as well. And this leads to some of my favorite verses in all scripture, verse 67 and 68. And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. Therefore, sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him. For he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. And I think that's critical. It's not according to my time. It's not according to my way. It's according to his time and his way. And I also think it's critical that it doesn't say, and the day will come that you shall see him. But the days, plural, you shall see him in his time and in his way. Um, remember the great and last promise which I made unto you. Cast your idle thoughts and your excess of laster, laughter far from you. That's probably something I need to work on a lot.
1: Yeah, but what does that mean
0: exactly? <laughs> it's, it's a good question. The
1: thing is is that I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if that's something that you need to work on unless you understand what it is. And if you understand what it is, maybe you can like key me in. Um <laughs> Cause the thing is, is that like I get the idea of like loud laughter and the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's because it's associated with um light mindedness and and you know, like, I don't know, maybe maybe uh Maybe certain substances that probably shouldn't be involved and in, in various things, right? But the thing is is that there's nothing better than getting together with family, telling old stories and reminiscing about whatever and laughing about stuff. It's like to me it's like those are some of the most fulfilling, happy, virtuous, you know, Absolutely. times ever. And so I I think I think to to know if we need to be working on this or not, we should probably have a, maybe a better idea of what it's even talking about.
0: So in my mind, this, this last week I was able to go hang out with some friends from way back even before high school. We grew up together. And growing up, we did a lot of dumb things that we never should have done, right? And and we get together and we reminisce on some of these things. And, and I wish that our time spent together could have been more productive. Like maybe some of the memories that we had, it could have had more substance rather than destroying somebody's property or things that you're embarrassed that you did or things that you're like, yeah, you know, we probably shouldn't have done that. It, it's it's kind of got a hollow ring to it. Like where are we now versus where could we have been? And, and it's not to say you don't, I don't know, it's not to say you shouldn't have these memories, you shouldn't have these fun experiences, but it seems like a lot of the times the things that we remembered most were or some of the things that we really shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. And, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it, trying to couple that with you're always moving one way or the other. And what could have we have been doing to be moving in the right direction? Uh, maybe, Maybe the problem was we were so idle in our thoughts or so... So much chasing the laughter that rather than looking for opportunities to help people or do something that would be fulfilling, we were just pleasing ourselves.
1: Okay, or or hear me out on this. I'm listening. Or maybe the problem was, is that you were just kids. Mm-hmm. And that that's what kids do. Mm-hmm. And that when you're an adult, you put away the childish things or whatever. I get it. The thing is, is that I, and I'm trying to be even better about this as a father
0: is to constantly remember,
1: they're kids.
0: They are kids. We're kids. So let's revisit this. Cast away your idle thoughts from your, and your excess of laughter. Does that mean if he's saying cast it away, you already have it, right? Is it saying it's okay to be that way as kids, but at some point you have to get beyond that and put that behind you and start making better decisions?
1: Did Joseph Smith enjoy having fun and wrestling and doing games and things like that? Absolutely. Cool, let's move on. But did Joseph <laughs> Never mind, I'm not gonna go there. No, but do you see what I mean though? Look, I get that I get that I get that there is a level of seriousness that needs to be had at appropriate times in life. I'm totally with you on this. I where where I don't even know if we disagree, but if we do, I'm fine, that's fine. But the idea, it's just, when you said, it's just when you said, like, I need to work on this, I'm like, I couldn't disagree with you more about that. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, unless, unless you go home and just party crazy hard and you neglect your kids and you don't take care of your responsibilities and you don't do the things that you need to to fulfill your calling, which I know isn't true. I know you do all those things. Like, if you were that dude, then I'd be like, okay, cool, maybe we should have this conversation. But you're not that dude.
0: Yeah, we and and God's whole role is let's see, what is it? Um, God created man that man might be happy. There is men are a that time, they might have joy, yeah. Men are that they might have joy. There is a time and there is a place. God's not saying he wants a, a, a downtrodden, depressed people to, to blindly worship him. We are supposed to have fun, we are supposed to laugh. It's just the excessive, and and you're right. And what you say is right. Like, how do you think that the reunions on in the next life are going to be? It's got to be joyous, or it's not worth having. Do you think that it's going to be
1: like, oh my gosh, can you believe I was such a knucklehead? Oh my goodness, and and reminisce just like it is here, and reminiscing and laughing about the dumb things that we did, and being able to laugh about it now because you're like, okay, you know, obviously I've learned from that and whatever. It's like I can't see those as anything other than a lot of tears and hugs and laughing. And talking and loudly celebrating, at least in my mind, that's what it's, that's what a joyous reuniting of family would be. That's all. I don't know. It has to be. But I'm. I know. I'm. I know. Now I'm beating this thing to death. <laughs> but the thing is, I think that this is misunderstood. And, I think you're right. And I think that it's sometimes. There, This idea that it's like if you're not in pain or if you're not suffering, then you're not doing the, what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm just like, I couldn't disagree
0: with that more. Right. But if you're, if you're, There's
1: if a you're mocking, that being a knucklehead,
0: if you're mocking sp- spiritual things, right? If sure. You're, if you're sitting there. And church, and everybody's trying to have a sacred moment and the sacrament, and you just start laughing and say, "I can't believe you guys totally actually think that's the you. body of Christ." That's that's. I think that's maybe the direction that it is. Is this, then I then we totally agree. The, this accept, you've got to be happy, you've got to do things, but if you start, if you start doing things that you know you shouldn't do. Because you're prioritizing getting a rise or getting a laugh out of it, or trying to get enjoyment out of it, go back to Laman and Lemuel on the boat, right? And Nephi, because he's saying you guys are going too far. Yes, and and when you go too far, and you're and you're putting things that are sacred aside in priority of these things. Okay, I think we agree then. Then we're then we're then that's if, where if you're that's crossing where, if the If that's line. where
1: you're, if that's where, if that's what you're understanding from the scripture, then I'm totally with you. Okay, but dude, you know how it is, dude. When when there was missionaries in our mission, dude, that it was like they were just like, man, they weren't having a good time at all, so that they could feel like that they were doing a better job or something. It's yes, like, you guys are insane. I'm having the time of my life. Like, but they're also
0: is- missionaries, and I had a companion that did this. Would would go turn the baptismal font into a sauna to yeah, just go see, hang out in no, the those day, dudes, right?
1: Those See, but that's what I'm saying. is like that's the difference between normal people and knuckleheads. Like that's the ultimate knucklehead, Right? It, yeah. But hopefully that's obvious to hopefully every normal human being you could see that as like that's obviously somebody being stupid and and being a knucklehead. Where I think that it's easier to try to go because it's 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 not as flamboyant as that that it's like okay well if i'm miserable and if i spend 7 hours a day reading the scriptures and if every hour that i'm not reading the scriptures i'm just praying and if every second that i'm not praying i'm thinking about how terrible of a person i am and that must mean that i'm doing good you know what i mean like that must be, if if i'm miserable it probably means that if i'm not having any fun it probably means that i'm being righteous right it's easier i think to do that and feel Okay, about it. Like nobody's nobody's bathing in the baptismal font, thinking to themselves, "Yeah, this is totally normal."
0: Yeah, and if I could sum it up, I would say all of the emotions that we feel are are divine. It's part of being us, part of being God. God goes through all of those motions as well. It's even anger is righteous. Totally agree. And and laughing and having a good time is righteous totally agree it's it's when it's in excess to where it's happening at the expense of something it shouldn't be happening you're sacrificing something you shouldn't sacrifice in the name of having that pleasure that I'm totally joy. with you then okay cool we okay. got this sweet
1: i'm glad we were able to i'm glad we were able to figure that out thanks for thanks thanks for taking us down that road i admit, you're welcome i guess <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm happy you
0: did all right um verse 74, and I, I think we probably need to wrap this up pretty soon and I give unto you who are the first laborers in this last kingdom a commandment that you assemble yourselves together, organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and sanctify yourselves, yea, purify your hearts and cleanse your hands and your feet before me that I may make you clean and and wait a second, this is this is something of a, of a discussion, right? Can we make ourselves clean, or does God make ourselves clean? And here God is saying, in order for me to sanctify you, you have to sanctify yourself first. Organize yourselves. Discipline yourselves. Make yourselves clean as best you can in order for me to make you clean. This is not just to rely on God, and it's not just to rely on yourself. This is a a partnership, and that order, that preparation, if you're going to be abiding by God's order, you have to learn how to impose that order on yourself, which going back to the conversation we just had, making sure you're doing those emotions at the right time or when it's a a suitable environment for those emotions. Uh, That I might testify to your father and your God and my father that you are clean from the blood of this wicked generation that I'm fulfill the promise, which is the great and last promise, which I have made unto you. And I will Um, teach ye diligently that grace may shall attend you and you shall be instructed more perfectly. Now, this is the critical thing for me. It's not that, and I will instruct you more about the celestial kingdom and what you need to do. But this list is amazing to me. They may be instructed more perfectly in theory. Not just, not just in the laws and the principles. Mm, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm with you now. Okay, I love this. Keep going. Okay, in theory, in principle, in doctrine, those are three different things. Yes, and theory is still important as it helps us understand better when we get to the principles and the doctrines. And and don't, isn't it easier to obey and?
1: Do the right thing if you understand why you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. And it's not just to,
0: as Adam said, because I was told to. Mm-hmm. And and he says in these theories, not just pertaining to the kingdom, because right here it says, in the law of the gospel and all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient for you to understand of things both in heaven, so astronomy, right? And in earth, geography, and under the earth. Geology, I I mean, not just in the heavens, but in the earth, on the earth, under the earth, things which have been, history, things which are, current events, things which must shortly come to past, theory, philosophy, philosophy, (laughs) (laughs) revelation, prophecy, don't just shy away from this, things which are at home, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of the nation and the judgments which are on the land and a knowledge also of countries and kingdoms that you may be prepared. Is there anything he didn't cover in that? Just learn as much as you can about the principles, the doctrines, and the theories regarding all of these things. I don't, I don't think we shy away from the theory of evolution or the theory of, I don't think there's any danger in these things. I think God's Absolutely. commanding us, be familiar with this. Yep. Know it. Know, know what people are talking about abroad, home, everywhere. We need an educated people because who's going to pay any attention to somebody who has no idea what they're talking about, and now you expect them to be as a source of truth to be able to tell you that this is what's Right. God does not want an ignorant people, and we've talked about this before. Joseph Smith said it, we save ourselves as fast as we gain knowledge. Organize yourselves, educate yourselves, and light cleaveth to light. How how do we come to the presence of God, the source of all light, if it's not learning all of these things just as much as it's learning
1: the gospel? Gaining as much light as you can so that it's naturally attracted to God.
0: Yes. By nature. By nature. And, and you asked the question, what about God leaving wherever he is to be here? Or, and then this is what I pose as a question and answer to your question. Okay. If we become God, then are we the crown of the celestial world? Are we the Elohim, the presence? Are we, this is our, and as we go and crowning each world with God's, each God taking throne in their world. Now it's a celestial world because the presence of God being a new generation of God or a new generation of of Elohim. I don't know the answer. I can't tell you exactly how things work, but it is cool that God says, come unto me and you can find me. And the days shall come that you will see me. And at the end, you will be like me. And we can step into that role and be that crown that, that makes this planet so special. Geez, man. Wow. Are you tired? Do you need a drink or something? Amen, <laughs> <Hey>, brother. Amen. <laughs> hey, Thanks. Thanks, and I'm sorry. There's so much more to cover in here, but... I, I think I'm gonna try to
1: convince Jason to give us a um a special midweek part two of this of this section. Maybe you can email you can email to help encourage him. Um, <laughs> weekly uh, hi at weeklydeepdive Um, just just email Jason. He sees him. I see him too. And just say give us that special midweek part two follow up. Maybe maybe we'll have a little maybe we'll have a little surprise for you midweek. What do you think, Jason? <laughs>
0: We'll see what this week. Like, please don't do this. <laughs> I love doing
1: this. I do. All right. All right. All right. Um, that's awesome. Uh, what are we talking
0: about next week? If we don't do a uh, midweek special surprise, next week is going to be uh, well. Eighty nine is the next section. Looks like Word of Wisdom is on its way, but yeah. it's such a small section. I don't yeah. know if uh,
1: caffeine, coffee.
0: Drugs that are
1: that are from plants of the earth versus drugs that are synthetically created in a factory somewhere to keep people addicted to them.
0: We're we're gonna take an interesting dive into word of uh, wisdom.
1: I, this I've been looking forward to this. It it'll be fun. I got, I'm gonna have dude. I'm gonna have a lot of, of a lot of questions for you next week. I'm gonna hide in the closet. You should. I think we have one here at the studio. <laughs> All right, sweet. All right. Until next week. See ya.